it is, um, it is again, situations are, are what it is. Uh, it's hard, but I am personally glad to be back with all of you, even if I have not met you yet. I look forward to meeting you if I haven't. Um, we just wanted to express again to all of you as, as our church, just from our family, just really thanking you for allowing us this time of sabbatical and rest the past few months. Um, I, I Sometimes I had to be careful talking to other pastors because I... Not every pastor gets that, so I didn't want people to get bitter thinking, like, what's wrong with my church? And, um, but we, we were just very glad, and it was a good time of rest. Um, and I was actually thinking of even coming back um, this first Sunday, and I was going to share some, some thoughts and some lessons as we began a series through the selected book of the Psalms through the rest of the summer. Um, but just with a lot going on, um, just wanted to take a little bit of a change in course but even though these past few months I was away from our church and all of you, I, I, I was still staying in tune to what's going on in the world, obviously. Maybe I shouldn't have, but um, just even a few short months, just a lot of difficult things that grieved my soul personally, um, even if I wasn't directly affected. You know, terrorist attacks in nightclubs, um, attacks in restaurants just even this past week in, in airports. And, and sometimes I think the pain of these different instances, it hits that much more home when evil happens to those who are in the midst of doing the work of God. And some of you might have heard this, but even within just this past week, uh, International Justice Mission, they put out the news that um, a human rights lawyer in Kenya and his driver and, and, um, and his client, they were taken, kidnapped, and then they just found them. They found their bodies, killed because of the work that they were doing. And, and during the summer, during June, I, I happened to remember just one year anniversary of, of the Charleston church last year, of the nine saints who had been gathered praying, studying the Bible, and in the midst of that had their lives taken. And, uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of these horrific situations that cause you um, to groan in your soul and, and to have natural questions but the thing I think about some of these horrific situations that I, I, I just mentioned, um, there's a possibility that you can still blame an evil person or an evil situation, and it's almost like gives you an out. But um, I think sometimes there's other instances where there's really no one that can realistically be blamed. Stuff just happens, and, I, and that's almost harder. I remember during my sabbatical, I had the opportunity on behalf of our church to go visit Haiti. Um, kind of on a, a trip to see about possible ministry opportunities for our church in, in, the, in the nation of Haiti. And flying it to Port-au-Prince, um, reminded of the earthquake that happened in January 2010. I mean, some of our church, they, they lived through that. And, and flying in through the country, even though it's been six years later, you remember hundreds of thousands dead, many more hundreds of thousands injured, one million left homeless. And, and, and coming into the nation, I saw it. A part of the ministry while I was there was being in orphanages and, and meeting some of the children who were there because of, because of that. And there's no person to blame for that. It, it happened in the world. And I could go on and on, but the common sentiment, I think, during these tragedies is why. You know, we ask why. Or maybe more personally to those who believe in God, if that's you, where was God? Where was God in the midst of all this? There's the 18th century Scottish philosopher, David Hume. He expressed it this way. Is God willing to pre prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. If he is able but not willing, then he is malevolent. If he is both able and willing, whence then he is evil? 
In other words, if God knows about evil but cannot prevent it, then he's not truly all-powerful. Uh, or if God does know and he does have the power to prevent something but he doesn't, then we can't really say with a straight face that he's good. But if he's both, as, as we claim in our church that he's all-powerful and, and, and all-good as the Bible claims, then how do we explain this thing called suffering in the world? And for, for some, the only conclusion logically is that well, there's no God. Y'all fooling yourself. Y'all mentally undersure. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. And I think a topic like this any, any time is just a worthy philosophical kind of out there. I mean, you can sit over coffee and talk about these questions. But, but I think it also hits home all too personally. I mean, that's what some of us are in our community are experiencing this week. It's not a news story out there. It's something that... With, with people whose flesh and blood you've touched and been with and shared broken bread together and lived life together. And, and our, our church community experienced a great loss with Andrew's passing this past week. And, and I, would, I would imagine, if I am, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure some of us here are experiencing this very struggling in the depths of our soul as we try to come to some kind of grips of what happened. Yet as someone, um, and again, I don't know where all of us are, but as, as someone who believes in the God of the Bible as I read it and, and see that God is both good and powerful, um, I find hope. I, I, I genuinely find hope that the Bible and the Christian faith is unflinchingly real when it comes to addressing suffering and pain. And, and in a sense, this is probably one of the most differentiating aspects of the Christian faith comparatively with other world religions. Um, Christianity is not like Buddhism, which, you know, when you see suffering in the final analysis, it's, it's an illusion. It's not real. But for the Christian, suffering is unflinchingly real. We don't have this dichotomy between soul and flesh. We, we believe in this wholeness of who we are. Christianity, um, it's, it's not like Hinduism, which sees suffering as pretty much the inevitable product of retribution, uh, pretty much the outworking of karma, that if you sin and some, some, something must have been done wrong, you will pay for it by suffering. So you're just getting the just rewards. Or Christianity is not like Islam, which falls more into this idea of fatalism when encountering suffering, like, well, it's all the will of Allah. Whatever happens, it's the will of Allah. Or, or not like modern Judaism, which views suffering as the atonement for sin. Or, or unlike atheism, which accepts suffering, I mean, with real eyes. Well, this is just the reality of living in a godless universe, and we have no choice, but, but we have to deal with it in this existence. Life stinks. Um, so I, I think on one end, it, it's probably more difficult for the Christian because we do believe uh, in a creator God who's both powerful and loving and, and it makes us ask real hard questions when it comes to tragedy that are difficult to understand. But I think on the, on the other end, we also see that we deal with the problem head on. We don't got to ignore it. We don't got to sugarcoat. We can actually face these issues directly. And I want to acknowledge Pastor Tim Keller, um, a lot smarter than me, his work, which has been really helpful for my own study in these matters and where a lot of this comes from even today. But I wanted us to look at the book of John 
a few verses, book of John chapter 9. John chapter 9, it's up on the screen, starting verse 1. And he, this is Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the disciples' questions, as we read here, they reveal a lot. Because you see that they're asking this question, but at the same time, they're making assumptions as they put this question before Jesus. Because a common understanding among that day, um, among those who were of that religious faith in particular, they assumed that if there was disease, if there was disorder, whether it's personal or societal or communal or national, it must be due to sin. It must be a result of someone having done something in disobedience to God. Um, it's even summarized by one rabbinic saying around 8300 that said, there is no death without sin and there is no suffering without iniquity. So it's not a wacky question that these disciples are asking. It's actually a real theologically, very religiously grounded question. And, and it's an honest human question that I think you and I would probably ask Jesus if we were walking with him as well. They're probably asking the same question that you and I, as we look at the nature of God and as we struggle with real life. And again, our church, we're marked by we want to keep it real, right? With real eyes, we see what's going on around us and we don't have brains big enough to be able to to understand it, to comprehend. I don't. Maybe some of you are a little smarter than me. Maybe you can give some better words. But in the end, we're left with, I don't know. Why? What do I do with this? And, and for and again, maybe some of you struggle with this. It's difficult if we believe in the God we say we do to wrap our minds around this idea that God could somehow willingly be a part of such sorrow that tears us apart. And maybe I'm asking questions that you've never asked and I'm taking you somewhere you don't like to go because you just want very simple kind of faith. Um, I don't think faith's that simple. I, I, I think it's kind of deep. That God could so intricately be involved in something so painful and there's really no good explanation for it. I, I, I can almost picture the disciples here as they're talking to Jesus, as they're asking him. I, I almost picture them saying, yo, Jesus, yo, that blind cat there, whose fault is that? Because, I mean, it couldn't be God. Yahweh, good Yahweh, it couldn't be God. So, yo, Jesus, whose fault is, is, is why he's like that? They're waiting on Jesus to give God an out. They're waiting on Jesus to do his marvelous teaching thing and say, oh, here's the reason. He doesn't give it to them. And I want to distinguish clearly um, because there are some people um, in in the midst of suffering or in the midst of something bad happening, they will give really religious um, answers. And maybe they'll say this is some kind of punishment for sin. There's generational sin. Your grandpappy who came over on that boat, they were involved in some sick stuff in your family, and now you're paying the consequences of it now. That's what this is. Um, I want to distinguish clearly. There are some things that do happen in our life that result from certain decisions we make in our life. Um, Whether to our benefit or to our detriment. And um, I know I look young and kind of cool, but I'm, I'm getting old. I actually can barely read my papers up here. I need reading glasses, but I'm vain. <laughs> I struggle with vanity, so I don't want to wear reading and do the, like, awkward, I, but I, I can barely read this. 
Um, and I can't eat what I used to be able to eat. I used to, you know, even to a couple of years ago, I would like brag about how I can eat, still eat like a 20 year old, like late into the night. Uh, now if I eat after a certain point and if I eat like red, I love red meat, but if I eat like more than I'm supposed to that night, I will be moaning like a baby. It's just sitting in my stomach and my body's just stopped digesting food like that. And I, and I remember one night I was like aching. I had never felt physical pain like that. And my wife is great because she is, she would have felt bad for me at the same time. She's like, yo, Holmes, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> it was that extra few ounces that you ate that you shouldn't have. You, I, I had no one that I could look to and blame for my suffering. I fully earned that. I mean, it was good at the time, but I, I fully earned that. So that's, that, that's real. And I, I think we got to be careful to not automatically say every bad thing that happens. Oh, it just kind of where did that? No, no, we, we, we can play a part in that. But what if there is no direct attributable reason that we can point to in the midst of hardship? And this might be some of us in this room because to people who believe in doing the right things, who believe in being a good citizen and avoiding the wrong things, it can crush your whole world system to believe that you can do the right things, avoid the wrong things, and still bad stuff can happen. That can crush you. Because what Jesus seems to talk about here is different than those different options. I mean, look at verse 3. He answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What he's saying is that suffering may often have nothing to do with the individual choices people make. It might not be particular sins that they've been engaged in. Rather, it's for the sake of God's work being done through that situation and through that hardship. And, I mean, we can give all these theological reasons for that. I can give some defense. But for me personally, you know how I know that's true? Because I talk to many of you, and the reason that you're walking with God right now is not because you read a great theological book. And some of you did because you're like Christian nerds. But most of us, is because you ran into a situation that your life just could not process anymore. You hit some point in life that just wrecked you. That you said, I, I got no world system to explain this away. My life is crushed here. It's that whole saying that people make. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. That like boils down a lot of our testimonies in this room. We tried everything else. Things even got taken away from us. And all we had was to say, God, okay, God, I need you. I got nothing else in this world. God, if you are true, save me now. And that's some of our stories in this room. And what Jesus seems to say here and what's reflected throughout scripture is that God does not shy away from difficult situations. But in fact, there is something going on there, even if it is unknown to your and my small minds while we're in this flesh. And, and hear me. You, you got to hear me because I am not theologizing pain and suffering away like it's not real for the Christian. I, if you want to get on my bad side, uh, and um, I, if I ever say something in our church like, you know what? I know it's hard, but when God closes the door, he's just opening a window for you. Throw your Bible in my head and try to knock me out. 
Because I, I don't think we're looking at like simplistic answers for the hardships of life. We're not looking for like little bumper sticker quotes that can get us through the day. We're grinding and we're pushing and we're sitting in the midst of some things that are shaking everything we've ever learned from those little felt characters on the Sunday school boards. And saying, how can I dare believe in this when I can't wrap my mind around what's going here? But what I am suggesting, as hard as it is as someone who follows Christ to wrap their minds around this, I think it's even a greater problem if we don't believe in God. Because when when we see the biblical response to suffering, we realize that rather than being evidence that God doesn't exist, suffering might actually be some of the strongest rationale we have for believing in God. C.S. Lewis, and and many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, um, he originally, part of the story, was he, re- he rejected the idea of God because of the cruelty of life. And study his bio. He went through a lot of hard times. He rejected God. But he found that evil was even more problematic for his new atheism. Because he came to see that the suffering in his life, it helped to point to God's existence. And he has some brilliant quotes from his book, Mere Christianity. I want to read for us here. We don't have it up on the screen so you can listen. It says, My argument against God was that this universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. In another way, what he's saying is, by saying something is not right, and maybe even for some of you, whether it's whatever it is, maybe even this week, by looking at life, by looking at hardships, by looking at brokenness, there's something within you, something within your soul that's looking at that and saying, there's something just not right about that. There's something about that that angers me. There's something about that that's not natural. That shouldn't happen. It shouldn't go down that way. If, if, if we're experiencing that, we're assuming that that's not the way things were intended to be. That God had created things in a different order than the present pain that we experience. So abandoning belief in God doesn't really help in the face of suffering Rather, we press into the revelation of who God is as he showed us in his scriptures. When we look at the God, um, the, the God of the Bible, when we look at him throughout the Old Testament, he identifies with suffering. He identifies with the foreigner who's in a new land and who has nothing to depend on. He, he identifies with those who are weary and broken. Psalm 34, 18, well-known verse. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord loves widows and orphans. But, but this love and compassion of God, it's, it's taken even further as we see Christ entering the world. Fully God and fully man. And it shows us that God is not just um, giving us some nice platitudes to get us through suffering. But, uh, and he's not removed from the harsh reality of the broken world. Rather, he intimately becomes a part of it. He's not just giving us some ways to get through it. He, he becomes a part of the brokenness. He becomes a part of the hurting world. And, and the truth is, we may never have an adequate answer for why. 
Again, some of you are smarter than maybe others of us. Study it. Please study it and write out a nice treatise for us. But most of us, we're, we probably will not have an adequate answer for why. But we know what the answer is not. The answer is not that God doesn't care or that God doesn't love or that God is powerless. In fact, we recognize through the scriptures that God is so loving. He's so full of goodness that he gave his own life as ransom. That to a broken, hurting, destitute world, he didn't say, oh, y'all come and kind of make it on your own, get to heaven one day, uh, try to be good enough. He, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came and took on our brokenness, took on our sin, became who we should have been, took the punishment we deserved, and the suffering we probably would just have as normal part of our life so that we wouldn't have to. And he was so powerful that he alone had the authority to take that pain upon himself. And, and I, I don't know about all of y'all, but for me personally, um, the cross, and I was sharing this with a friend recently. I actually like getting old as much as I was joking about not being able to see and what I can't eat. Getting old is actually better. I feel more and more comfortable with who I am in my skin. I like life. I like understanding things that used to confuse me. Getting older is good, but getting older, older, there's also a challenge because you just experience more and more brokenness. It's just a reality. It's you versus math, and math is going to win. The more years you face, the more broken people and situations and loss you're going to experience. But what I've noticed is that, like, say, Good Friday, when we talk about the cross, when we talk about Jesus crying out on the cross in agony, when I see people who I know who have gone through loss, man, the words of Christ take on a whole different emphasis. When Jesus is on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those who've lost, I can tell they're like, oh, okay, Jesus understands. Jesus understands what it means to lose someone that you love so much and not have that connection you've always had and being ripped apart. He understands. And it's different than just this theological, oh, yeah, he took upon our propitiation for sins and he was crying out a functional God. No, it's like he understands loss. He understands pain. He understands ripping apart of relationship to the point where you don't have any more words left to say. And all you got is like seven sayings. And when we look at Jesus, God gives us hope in the midst of our suffering. The next verse is after verse 5 in John chapter 9. They read, Verse 6, having said these things, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Think about this guy. Think about this guy that all the disciples were looking at as like a sermon illustration saying, oh, poor guy. Jesus, what happened to him? This guy became part of the story. Rather than his suffering being evidence that God is not real or that if he is, God must hate him, he was able to experience the power of God directly in his life because of his suffering. Because of his suffering, he experienced the healing and restoration of what was broken. And, and this is not merely for us about trying to make sense of a confusing world. I mean, we're pointing to something greater here. One theologian said this, just blew me away. He said, genuine hope is not blind optimism. It is hope with open eyes, which sees the suffering and yet believes in the future. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, 
to his followers, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, Jesus is promising things will change. As hard as it is right now, this is not the final word. One day, I know I look like some homeless man who's been going around teaching and people look down at me, laugh at me and call me a heretic. But I'm a king. And one day I'm going to be sitting on the throne and everything's going to be made new. Because heaven, as much as we've seen characters, it's not some chubby baby angel sitting on clouds playing a harp. It's so dumb. I mean... It's much more radical than that. In a world that is broken, the promise of heaven is everything's going to be made right and new. There's going to be a time when we will not understand this thing called a cancer. There's going to be a time when we look at this idea of racism and that people did horrible things to one another because of the way that their skin color was. And we will not be able to, we'll look at it and say, really? That was part of our broken, it's horrible, it's crazy. Blowing up things in the name of terrorists, that's going to be like, oh my, real, wow. It's going to be this foreign concept. There are going to be no more tears of, of, of sorrow. We won't have to try to wrap our minds around this foreign concept called death of the body. There's going to be no more widows. No more orphans. And, and this thought just like wrecked me this morning. I was thinking of that picture in, 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 in the scriptures that talks about the kingdom to come heaven. And this idea that there's going to be no more need for light. Because the, the, there's going to be no more need for sun because Jesus himself is going to be so glorious. It's just going to light everything. Talk about environmentally friendly, right? I mean, it's going to be so bright. And, and here was the thought that came to my mind. That's going to be, there's going to be no more of those nightmares during the dark nights. For some of you are parents who know your kids and the darkness just scares them and the unknown of the darkness and what they can't see and you having to hold their hand and guide them through it and say, it's okay, day is coming. There's going to be no more of that because it's all going to be bright. And even as adults, sometimes we have those nightmares of the night, but that's going to be brought into the light as well as everything is made new. This one woman, Nancy Guthrie, she writes, talking about this eternity, talking about heaven. When you lose someone you love, heaven becomes much more of a reality, much more than a theological concept or theatrical cliche. Because for a lot of us, especially those of us who might be younger, heaven is just, ah, you know, hopefully one day we get there. But when you experience loss, you're like, man, I, I want heaven. <laughs> I want reunited, um, reconciled relationships. I want to see those who I've lost who are with God. I, I don't want to struggle anymore with the things I've always struggled with. I want to be with God. So the gospel, it allows us to sit in the reality of pain and not have to explain it all away. Yet we also say, that the present pain and suffering does not get the last word. Amen? As deep as it is, and I know for a lot of us in this room, it's very deep right now, this does not get the final word. But in the meantime, we express suffering. We experience suffering. 
um, globally, but personally as well. And, and here's a pastoral word I want to give to all of us here, wherever we're at. The reality of this life, uh, it's, just, it's just the way life works, is that suffering and tragedy, it can't help but cause you to consider life in far deeper ways than we normally would on our regular day. When you experience suffering and loss, whether it's you or whether it's those who are close to you, or maybe it's even on TV, we can't help but step back in wisdom and evaluate our own lives and sit in that. And I'm not saying it's all God-centered thoughts, but you, you're, you're thinking and you're wrestling. You're obviously thinking about those who have been uh, directly impacted and hurt, but you're also thinking about yourself and your life and your family. And what you've been living for, what have you given all of your energy towards? What have you put all of your hope in this life? And when you experience loss, it kind of brings it all into focus and say, okay, well, is that worth it? Suffering, it just brings everything into an acute focus and it forces us to ask, do we truly trust God with our lives? Do we follow Jesus with our lives? Or are we just playing church? Do we really know a God who's big enough for all of this. And and if I can suggest, I think wisdom would ask every single one of us to dwell in these questions, to dwell in these questions. So kind of to bring it all back, um, title of the sermon was why. And if you are hoping and coming in here thinking, okay, why that must mean he's going to give us the answers. Why? Um, we just don't roll like that. I'm just not that smart. Honestly, um, and this, this might provide some of you absolutely no hope and make you running out of here frustrated and mad. I think there are some things that happen in this life that we will never be able to understand until, until we're on the other side of glory. As much as, and churches are notorious for this, we want to be able to explain everything away. We want to give exactly the rational reason. Well, here's why it happened. Here's how it works within the sovereignty of God. I, I, I'm just not that smart. I think there are some things. I can, we can worship God in the midst of it. But I think there are going to be some things that happen. There's going to wreck us. And we will never have the words to be able to form to explain why that happened. But I would suggest one day we will. Even if it's not on this side of glory. And here's something I can only say in the light of the love and power of God. Even in these situations, God will be glorified. Amen? Even in these situations, God will be glorified. And and may we use our brokenness to cry out to the one who is intimately experienced in suffering. I ask you to bow your head. As our music team comes up in a moment here, uh, as they come up to lead us to respond in in song, I want to invite you during this time uh, to sing, obviously, if that's where you're at, and to sing out the songs that are represented here as lament, as worship of God. But may I also ask, maybe for some of you, this is going to be a time of prayer. Maybe you pray. If you you knew the Vachey family, maybe you pray for them right now. Maybe if you didn't even know them, you pray for them right now. And again, this might sound spiritually trite, but I think there's, I don't think this is just good thoughts that we're sending. I believe this is powerful time when a church prays for their church. This is not just well-meaning thoughts. I think there's significant spiritual work going on. So maybe you pray for the family, for Valerie and for the three little ones. Maybe you pray for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. Maybe your heart is grieving right now. Maybe you haven't had time to express grief and sorrow. 
and you don't know how to wrap your mind around it, may I give you permission to say, you're not supposed to know how to wrap your mind around it. You weren't created to understand this. This is part of being in a broken world. But let that draw you to God right now. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's just you're coming in here and no one even knows about the suffering you're going through right now. You've been going it alone. Could I invite you to bring that to God? You're grieving different things. Maybe you're grieving losses. You're grieving illness. You're struggling. May I suggest to you, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that he's all-powerful, but perhaps he's even allowing this to be an opportunity that you might draw closer to him.